Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. Our sacred story reading, our reading from Scripture, comes from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 23 through 25, and verse verse 28. So a little backdrop on this. Paul, the apostle, has been uh, going around and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he's found himself in Athens. And in Athens, there's a lot of complexity, a lot of conversation about religion, about spirituality, a lot of conversation about what we should follow and what philosophies of the day are most important. Um, And so they hear that Paul is out in the streets talking about this Jesus guy and this guy who raised from the dead and this new way of being human and this new invitation that God has for people. And so he's invited to come and share with the people of Athens, um, kind of in this uh, kind of gathering of the minds in a way. And so this is uh, verse 22 through 25, and then again 28. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely spiritual you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, God who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though God needed anything, since God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. And then verse 28, For in God we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we too are God's offspring. We are in the middle of a series that we are calling How We Grow, and this is part three. So if you are just picking up with us, if you're coming in after a few weeks away or a vacation or whatever you are doing, and this is part three, I'm going to try my best to make sure that this doesn't feel like you're swimming in the deep end of the pool, uh, that you can kind of get to that that end, uh, but it may feel that way. So it, just hold this message maybe and then go back and listen to parts one and part two on the podcast, and then this one will make sense, and you can re-listen to it. Um, But I'm calling this message Include and Transcend. Include and Transcend. Um, Because what we're 
talking about is this kind of third aspect of how we grow in our faith. And so we use Richard's Rohr, Richard Rohr's model of growth, where we have an order, like how we've arranged things, how we've built the container, how we've answered the big questions in life, how we've understood who we are and, and what makes sense to us. That's the order. A lot of it is handed to us when we're kids. A lot of it is, is this framework that we have, this ground that we are feeling comfortable to stand on. And then sometimes what happens is life. And it's chaotic, and it's complex, and there's tragedy, and there's things that happen to us or to loved ones or in the world that causes us to question that order, to question that foundation. And so we may move into a place of disorder, where we feel like the God that we thought we knew, the God that we thought made sense, that that resolved all of our tension in life, didn't make sense, didn't answer all the questions that I now have. And so now I'm in a place of disequilibrium, or I'm in a place of disorder. I'm in a place of, of I'm unmoored. I'm not connected. I don't know what to think anymore. And so I find myself questioning the very faith that I held on to for so long. And that's a normal part of human growth and the, the journey of faith is to be in a place of disorder, to be in a place of disequilibrium, to not know what you think anymore, to have more questions than answers, to have more doubts than assurances. That's a normal, healthy thing. For some people, it happens the first time they leave home. They leave home and they're around new people, they're around a new uh, religion, they may be around a, a whole dorm full of people that believe different things from them, whatever it may be, and they find themselves going, whoa, I had no idea People lived this way, talked this way, believed this way, acted this way, and, and they seemed to have it all together. They seemed to be just fine, and I thought I was just fine, and I thought I was fine because I believed this, but they're just fine, and they don't believe it, so now I don't know what to think anymore, and that's a really normal, healthy part of human development is to be in a place of disorder. For many people, that place of disorder can be something that they run from, they get scared by it. It becomes uh, something they aren't comfortable with. And they maybe run back to what the order that they originally had. And that's a normal response to the disorder. Sometimes they get some clarity around a new way of framing things. And instead of finding a way through the disorder, they just say, you know what? That seems to make more sense to me. I'm going to jump over here. So they just kind of change their allegiance from what one order was to a different one. And then others say, you know what? Instead of just changing my allegiance from this thing to this thing, I wonder what I really think. I wonder what I really believe. I wonder what makes sense for me. I wonder how I can answer some of these questions. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we need to make faith personal and that as we grow in our faith, it becomes this personal thing to us. That instead of saying, well, my pastor always said, or my grandparents taught me, or my youth pastor said, or my friends said, or my favorite TikTok person said, or this book that I read once said, instead it's, well, I believe this. Well, why do you believe that? And then you have an answer because you've thought about it, you've wrestled with it. And that answer may be, well, I've really appreciated the work of, which I do all the time up here. I try to refer to people that have influenced my journey of faith, but I've owned that. I'm, it's part of who I am. It's what I believe. And yes, I've used good scholarly work down the, in the past, but ultimately it's something that hopefully is becoming me, not just a reflection of the external people that I've been around. That is the movement from order, disorder, and now we're moving into what we're calling the reorder. How do you reorder 
your faith. And that reordering is where the growth seems to culminate. In the words of, so we talked about Richard Rohr. And for those of you that missed out on the first couple weeks, we spent some time talking through Fowler stages of faith development. We got super nerdy and super dorky. It was like going back to college for a little bit. And we talked about how when we start out as little kids, there's the magical stage where everything is real. Everything is awesome. It's like the Lego movie, right? Everything is awesome. That's how little kids believe about everything. And so it's all real, whether it's the Easter bunny or whether it's Jesus. They think everything is real because the people they trust in their life tell them that it's true. And then there's evidence all around, right? There's eggs hiding in the house or there's a basket somewhere to find. And so therefore there must be an Easter bunny that hit it. And so they see the evidence and they go for it. Concrete operational thought kicks in. They realize, well, life's more complex than I think it is. And so now I have to have a rational, logical argument for things. And they move into this literal stage of faith where they need to rationalize everything. And so we see a lot of kids who have rationalized. Sometimes their rationale is not actually rational, but they're really confident in it because they actually think they can know everything, right? So sometimes my kid likes to think that he knows everything before he's actually been taught it, right? He's like, I already know how to do that, dad. And I'm like, no one's taught you that. You don't have a clue how to do that. But yet he's super confident because he's in that space where he thinks that he can literally, logically figure everything out. He's going to end up finding out that he doesn't know it all, right? He's going to come to that conclusion. We all come to that conclusion. And that's when we look around us and we say, what institution, what church, what, what, what popular person in my life, what peer group, what parents, what grandparents seem to have answers to the questions that I know I actually can't answer. I've actually realized that there's an end to my knowledge. There's an end to my ability to rationalize all of this. So who seems to have a good idea about how this works? And that's where we put our, our trust in what others tell us. Eventually that falls apart. That's where the disorder comes in. And then we need to ask the question, personally, what do I believe? And as we journey into what we believe, we have what's called the second naivete. The second naivete is that because I've done the hard work of figuring out what I believe, I now think that I've figured out what all belief should be like. So quick fun story. I used to, as many of you know, I used to work in college campuses and would work with all of our Bible study leaders. And they love talking about um, Calvinism, Arminianism, and open theism. How, we, how God knows what God knows. It's super dorky, and it, but it, they, they all nerd out on this, right? They just get so excited. Is it all predestination? Is it all free will? Or is there something even more complex than that? Like God is working with humanity, and it's kind of unresolved, and it's moving in this complicated direction. And they get really, really dorky about it, and they get really excited about it, and they want to have Bible studies about it. And it's really easy to play Bible volleyball when it comes to these ideas. And Bible volleyball is where you take a verse and you smack it at somebody, and then they take another verse and smack it back at you, and you ping pong verses back and forth to try to prove your point. And so they'll do this with Arminianism, predestination, and Calvinism, and open theism, and they'll go back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. And then one person will come in and be like, y'all, I've read two books, and I've watched two YouTube videos. I know the answer. The Christian church has been arguing about this for over 2,000 years, but I have figured it out. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful because they've really done some good work. They've really tried. It's very personal to them. They're not saying so-and-so said, so-and-so said, and so-and-so said. They're saying, I know. This thing has become very personal to them. 
but yet they're naive enough to think that they have now resolved human history to the point of just being able to move on from the conversation. And it's, it's great, but I always warn my Bible study leaders, I'd be like, I know you're going to get excited when you take Theology 101 and you want to create Bible studies around it, but remember, you're taking theology to learn how to think, not the end of thinking. And now, that didn't always go over well because they were so, you know, wanting to be so confident, and I, I understood it. But anyway, the goal when we're personalizing our faith is to hold that as confidently and beautifully as you can, but then we need to move towards empathy. And that's what we ended talking about, is that we ended talking about compassion uh, a couple weeks ago, that we need to have compassion both for ourselves and for those around us who believe differently. Because when we have compassion and we have empathy for others, we're actually able to move past that naivete of thinking, I've resolved all of these questions, I've figured it out, and we recognize, oh, someone else may believe just as confidently as I do, and it might be a different belief, but what they're doing in the world is beautiful, good work. Like, beautiful, good work. And I can actually applaud and partner with that good work even if it's coming from a place that looks differently from me. One of the things that I got to do when I was working in higher ed is I got to be on a committee on, uh, on interfaith work. And so we would talk as colleagues about how can we help our students do good civic work in the city with people from other faith traditions or no faith tradition at all. And the, the idea here is that we need to create this empathy for people different from us. Why? Because they're eventually going to leave this nice little Christian bubble that we've tried to create for them over in Christian higher ed, and they're going to work in complex secular settings, settings that where they're not going to be able to talk about faith, faith but they're going to be with people that have different faith or no faith at all. And we want them to understand that there is still opportunity for good work to be done. Now, some of you are hearing me say this, and you're like, duh. Like, of course that's the way it is. Well, when you grow up in a really sheltered environment where you're told we're the only ones doing any good in the world and no one else is, for someone to come along when you're 20 years old and say, actually, we can do good civic work with people different from us, that is some of the most challenging disorientation, disequilibrium, and disorder that they can imagine. And so we're trying to introduce them to that, trying to say, let's do good work with people. And we, we brought in the leader of Interfaith Youth Corps, a guy by the name of Ibu Patel, and he's got a great podcast and does some wonderful work on how people from different faith traditions can find commonality and do good civic work together in their community. We had him come and he preached in chapel, which we got a lot of letters about that uh, because he he's, comes from a Muslim background. But I've never heard anyone talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan better than him. Uh, just this magical uh, opportunity to hear him speak, and then we got to meet with him and talk about how we can partner with the Muslim community, with the Jewish community, with people that don't have any faith to, to move towards doing good work in our community. And it was a challenging time for some of our students, but we're able to see that when we don't think we have the answer, but we've come to an answer, and there's a difference there, right? Not just the answer, but we have an answer. I need to have an answer for the faith that I have. I have a faith, and I need to have an answer for it. But I don't have the answer. I have an answer. And when I can see that your answer moves you to partner with me, and my answer moves me to partner with you, I can honor that together with you. And that's where we start to move towards being inclusive. 
we start to move towards including one another. And when we include one another, we start to recognize that maybe there are some values that transcend the myopic view that I have, the singular view that my faith is the only thing that matters. And instead, I can recognize that there's something beautiful happening in your life, and I can appreciate that, and I can honor and respect what you're saying. And so we include, and then we move towards transcending just the small version of faith that our original order may have handed us. So we include and we transcend. I think that's what Paul's doing in this passage in the book of Acts. I think Paul is trying his best, even though he comes from a very, very rigid, fundamental background of faith. If you know anything about the story of Paul, we first get introduced to Paul, not when he is met by this kind of miraculous presence of of Jesus on the road to Damascus. That is not the first time we see Paul. Some of us know the story of Paul where he is riding on his horse to Damascus and suddenly he's struck down blind and the, the Jesus comes to him and says, you got to stop persecuting me and you're going to go to this place and you're going to get your sight back and you're going to learn about me and I want you to go tell people about me. And so it's this beautiful transformation that Paul has and he becomes the great apostle of the faith and Over half the New Testament is written by the Apostle Paul. The first time we see Paul, he's overseeing the stoning of Stephen. The disciple Stephen is telling people about Jesus and about the resurrection of Christ, and they are so upset by this, the community is, that they stone him to death, and Paul is the one overseeing it. And Paul gets a reputation as the persecutor of this new way of being human, this Jesus way of being in the world. He's the one that is after Christians. He's the one trying to get them, and yet Jesus is going to work through him. So we know that Paul comes from a very rigid, fundamental, hardcore background of faith. He's a Jew of Jews. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, he writes. He's as hardcore about his faith as anyone has ever been. He takes it so seriously that he's willing to oversee the very death of other people in order for his faith to go forward. And so when he walks into Athens and he sees this row of deities, these statues to all of these gods, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, would be as appalled by that as anything. Because if, if you're a follower of the Jewish faith, there's one God. That's at the core of, who, of what it means to be a Jew. All the way back to the Shema that we've talked about before, there is one God, God alone. And to believe otherwise is to, is to be, it's, it's heretical. And so, Paul here finds himself in what, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees would consider to be the most heretical place imaginable in Athens, where they have deity after deity after deity, even a deity to a God they don't even know just because they want to make sure they appease all of them. And you would imagine that he would walk in and do what one of my college students would do. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Here's why I'm right. And you would imagine that's what Paul's about to do here. He's about to walk in and say, Athenians, here's why you've been wrong all along. And here's why I'm so right. 
Let me tell you about why I'm right. But Paul's first thing he says, I can see that you are extremely spiritual. He compliments them. He gives them a compliment. If you were imagining someone coming in to share their belief system, and the first thing they said to you was, man, I really love how just tenderly and thoughtfully you hold your faith. And you thought they were coming to share their faith with you. It would be the most disarming thing imaginable. The most complimentary thing imaginable. So Paul comes in and he compliments their spirituality. He goes on to say, this unknown God that you have a statue to, I want to tell you about that one. So he finds a way in to tell them about God. And then he has this unbelievable quote, as some of your own poets have said, for in God we live and move and have our being. For in God we are, his off- we are God's offspring. That is a quote from a non-Jewish, non-Christian poet. Paul is versed in their sacred text. Paul is versed in their philosophy. And not only is he versed in it to try to find all the holes in it, like that Bible ping pong or Bible tennis we talked about, he's not just versed in it to find all its flaws. He's versed in it to find where the truth lies. Because the truth is there. The truth is there. And so Paul actually makes non-Christian, non-Jewish authors scripture. The point here is that Paul is finding a way to include so that we can transcend to have a more meaningful conversation about this thing called faith and why we're here. Paul is finding a way to make that connection. He's including so we can transcend. Now, I know some of you are probably asking yourself, okay, we've done a little bit of the faith theorist. We've talked about Rohr. We've talked about Fowler. We've continued that conversation. Talked a little bit about the scripture he referenced, but he also said he was going to bring this around to the passing of Tyree Nichols. Part of the reason why this maybe feels a little disjointed this morning is because the last couple weeks since I preached my last sermon, I've been thinking about what do I want to say in this sermon? And then the tragic murder and and death of Tyree Nichols has kind of thrown my brain in a whole other direction. And I've been thinking a lot the last few days about, especially after the video came out, how do I possibly talk about transcending and including and including and transcending and faith development and growth in our faith in light of what we're seeing in this moment, which is again highlighting uh, the horrific disparities that we see in our culture, the ways that people are treated, that our city has so much familiarity with. There is no way possible that we say what happened to Tyree Nichols or George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or any of the countless other people that have tragically died at the hands of police or died at the hands of white supremacy. There's no way we can say that should be included in a healthy way, in the way that we've just framed faith development. But the way that we do include it is by not ignoring it. 
it did happen. It is happening, and it, it will happen again, tragically. And we have to include it. Too often in our society, we want to not include it. We want to erase certain parts of our history. We want to pretend like things didn't happen the way that our history books have taught or that our teachers in middle school want to tell us because we're uncomfortable, because we feel a sense of shame or guilt around certain messages that are taught. That is not inclusion. That is wiping away history and saying stories don't matter. The only way we move forward as a people is by including. We have to include the stories of Tyree Nichols, of Breonna Taylor, of George Floyd. We have to include the stories of the transatlantic slave operation. We have to include the story of systemic racism and how it has horrifically impacted layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of society. We have to include the ways in which systemic racism and white supremacy continue to impact not only the lives of those who lose their lives at the hands of injustice, but also impacts the lives of the privileged who tend not to think that it's something that they have to be a part of because, well, it doesn't affect me. We have to include all of that if we're ever going to move to a place where we can truly see one another as equals, where we can truly live in a more equitable, not equal, equitable society, one that recognizes the differences and disparities and makes ways for people to have the same opportunity. We can't do that if we don't include the tragic stories that have happened in the past week or in the history of our country or throughout the globe. We have to be inclusive of those stories. And when we do, when we are, that's when we can finally start to have some honest conversation about what do we do next. The book that Ibram X. Kendi wrote, and the reason why I wanted to, in light of what recently happened, invite everybody to come participate, is that Ibram X. Kendi is not some scholar who has a story to tell or has a, some information to tell. Ibram X. Kendi, part of what he's sharing in that book that we will highlight, is the recognition that systemic racism has impacted everyone, not just white people, but black people as well. And that that pervasive way of seeing the world has impacted the way we all see one another. One of the dynamic things about his book is that he talks about his own racism as a black man towards other black men. What we see in the video of Tyree Nichols passing is not just the anger of a few individual black men towards a young black man who potentially violated the law or tried to run away. I don't know all the circumstances, but what we're seeing is the extent of systemic racism and white supremacy having another victim even if the ones perpetrating it look like the victim. That's why this conversation is so important. 
because it's pervasive in our society. If you disagree with me, that's great. I would love the conversation. Not so that I can try to convince you or so I can try to overwhelm you with all the facts and stats and throw books after book at you and to say and to play volleyball with you, but instead to say, tell me more about why you view it differently. If you do, like Paul, I hope that what I say is, wow, I can see your passion for the world to be better, even if you don't think this starting point is the starting point. I do. I think this is the starting point. But if you don't, okay, I want to talk to you anyway. I want to find where you're seeing truth and to say, as your own poets have said, I want to find that opportunity to honor the truth that you're seeing, to honor your place, and then to say, okay, now how can we rub off on one another a little bit? How can we find a way to partner, even in our disagreement, to do something different in this world that we all can agree shouldn't be like that? I honestly don't even know how to wrap this up. <laughs> um, I think including and transcending is really difficult. And it's difficult because it requires an, an immense amount of empathy towards our own story and towards the story of others. When we have animosity about what someone's telling us, that's where we have to ask not just why is what they're saying wrong, but why is what they're saying so hard for me to hear? If I get animated or upset, that's a question about me. And I've had this with family members, I've had this with close friends. It's a question of, okay, I have to be able to hold this with empathy in order to move forward. So I think my prayer for us today is that if we're not able to have that empathy because we're angry, that's okay. There's a time. As Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for that. There's a time for everything, including the anger, including the frustration, including the mourning and the tears and the pain. There's a time for that. And that anger and frustration can move us towards justice if we allow it. But the only way we can truly move towards it is if we start to hold stories with empathy and to see others as worthy of that love and dignity that they deserve, even when we disagree with them. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we got a few more things this morning. God, in all the complexity of our world, we... Um, God, I think sometimes the best thing we can do is just be quiet. And so may the words that I've spoken be honorable in your sight. And those that are not, may they be lost on deaf ears. May they not be heard. But those that were true, may they challenge us or motivate us. May they encourage us. God, may you work with what we have. May you work within our stories. May you work within 
our understanding of faith. May you work within our understanding of the world to move us towards justice and grace and love and all those beautiful things that we sing about. May you use what we have. May we be people of empathy and compassion. May we be people who are curious and not critical. In Christ's name, amen. Next week, we are starting a three-week series on the book of Ruth. It's going to kind of be a study of the first few chapters of the book of Ruth. Um, This kind of started from some friends and I who do a podcast called Searching the Sacred, where we do deep dives into the scriptures, and we did a a season or six episodes on the first two chapters of Ruth, and we're just starting to publish the chapters uh, three and four that are coming out. And so a friend of mine who listens to the podcast, who's a pastor over in Osseo, said, hey, what if we did a short series on the first two chapters of Ruth? We could both do it simultaneously and we could pulpit swap during the middle of it. And I thought, that's a great idea. And so my friend Jen Spicklemeyer, who's over at Osseo UMC, will be with us on Super Bowl Sunday the 12th, and I'll be over at Osseo. And so we're going to each start the series on the 5th, swap on the 12th, and then we'll wrap up back at our churches on the 19th. And so it'll be a short series that we're calling Love, See, and Live Differently, and kind of learning from the story of Naomi and Ruth. So if you've never read the book of Ruth, it's only four chapters long. You can do it in one sitting. It's a really dynamic book. It's a beautiful book, a lot to learn from there, um, but it's also a really absorbable because it is, it is a shorter book. So we're going to do a little study on the book of Ruth before we get into the Lenten season. So um, we'll talk more about that coming up. Tonight at five o'clock in the fellowship hall, we are having a family game night. Uh, And so bring a dish to share. We'll be providing the drinks and the desserts. We'll have some games. If you have a favorite game that's a fun group game, go ahead and bring it. We're going to try really hard to get one of these monitors to work and put a football game on over there because I know that either the AFC or the NFC championship game will be wrapping up while we're doing that. And so if we can get the game on, we will do that. Uh, We're going to work hard to try to get that happening. But yeah, come and enjoy some time together. And this is not just for families. This is for the church family. So everybody here, bring a friend, bring a neighbor, bring a a relative. We would love just to have a lot of people and just enjoy uh, some good time together. We know it's cold, but this is a good place to be just to come and, and hang out together. My boys will be here. They're complaining about setting up. And I was like, seriously, gentlemen, just put the chairs out. That's all I ask. Like, you can do this. And my little guy, my seven-year-old, it goes, I just want to show up and have the chairs already ready for me. So I told him, I said, bring your iPad, go sit in my office for 40 minutes, and then walk out, and it'll be ready. And he goes, not the same, Dad, not the same. And I was like, oh, my goodness. When did I start dealing with two teenagers? Ah! Okay. Um, The next family game night. So I'm looking ahead. February 19th is the next family game night after tonight. Also on that night, we have Encore, which is our uh, youth group for middle school and high school students. In addition to that, we are going to be having a book study on how to be an anti-racist by Ibram X. Kendi. And for those, some of us have been going through that book chapter by chapter and meeting every other week. We decided to pause that and to say, let's just gather one, one more time and then invite others that have been reading the book to join us. And in light of Tyree Nichols' 
tragic death this week. And in light of the ongoing, hard, uh, important conversation that we continue to need to have about racial reconciliation and how we do life together and how we can be there for each other, show up, bear witness, how we can be people of action. Um, I wanna open this up, not just to those who have been reading the book all fall, but for anyone interested in this conversation on racial justice to come on February 19th from 6.30 to 8. I'm hoping that we'll have a little bit larger group than fits around the gathering space table. So we're gonna try to do this in Pioneer Hall, hopefully. Um, and so we'll meet in Pioneer Hall while the youth are hanging out over in the fellowship hall after we get done eating together and playing games together. So it should be a full fun night, but we wanna have a really meaningful conversation um, utilizing the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And if you're wondering, man, I don't know if I can read that book in time for February 19th, totally get it. What I'm planning to do in the next 10 days or so is to put together a cheat sheet of quotations and kind of a synopsis of what Ibram's doing in that book to help us understand how to have this conversation, to kind of summarize some of the things and then ask some good questions in our group setting on February 19th. So, And then the goal after that is after we talk about the book to find another time to gather as a group and to say, okay, now what do we do as people of action? It's one thing to grow and to learn. It's another thing to be reconcilers. Our motto is that we are growing and reconciling, reconciling and growing for everyone. And so we want to do the good growth work. Let's learn from an expert like Ibram X. Kendi, but then let's also do the reconciling action to help be the change that we just sung about. And so we are going to meet a second time after the 19th to talk about what does it look like for us as a people to be people of action to help make changes in our community. Um, and so we're gonna start with the conversation on Sunday, February 19th, 6.30 in uh, Pioneer Hall. As people of faith, may we continue to wrestle. May we continue to question, to doubt. May we continue to search for answers. And may we be people who are seeking after unity. May it one day be restored. May we trust that God is up to that, both in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, and in our land. May we have faith that that is the journey we are on with one another. May we do good work because there's good work to do. Go in peace. Go in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.